This podcast is brought to you by our funders, Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities and Puranga Kura Māori Research Centre. E te tī, e te tā, nau mai piki mai ki tēnei i pāho ara ko he whare mō wai. This episode features Maya Ratana, a member of our team, who lives in a tiny house in Northland. She talks to us about tiny living and what led her to live in her in-law's backyard despite having owned a home in Tamaki Makoto. Maya gets us thinking about innovative housing solutions, our impact on the environment and our long-term housing goals and needs. Tēnā are are taringa mai! Maya, thank you for joining us on He Whare Moewai. Uh, could you please introduce yourself and what you'd like to discuss today? Kia ora, Hana. Ko Maya Ratana tēnei. Heuria hau no Te Arua, no Taranaki ngō Ngāti Raukaua ki te tonga. Oh, my name is Maya. Um, I actually currently live in, in Whangarei, in Ngunguru actually, uh, but I come from Rotorua, born and bred in Rotorua. Um, and have lived in Auckland for about 15 years in between. Yeah. Um, anything else? Oh, yeah, I'm currently a lecturer of architecture at Unitec and AUT, um, and I also am a researcher at Ngawaia Tetui. Um, could you please share about your journey in your tiny home and what made you want to choose living in a tiny house? Yeah, so um, my Fano and I are currently living in a tiny house that we built, um, my partner and my three-year-old son. Um, I think for me it's been a long kind of journey of figuring out what housing is and what it means to me. Um, started off, obviously grew up um, in Rotorua and grew up in a Fano home on Fano land uh, with, with a kind of big extended Fano. Um, lots of coming and going. Moved to the city at 18, lived in student housing first, went to the University of Auckland, actually studied music, randomly, but um, studied music for a year. Um, I think I went back and forth home as things sort of progressed, but also I did a lot of flatting for quite a few years. Um, rented, I think there's some, there's a difference to me between flatting and renting, but you know, once I um, I lived with my sister and her partner and my partner and we rented for a while. So sort of a flatting situation, but kind of more of a whānau flatting situation. Um, we then bought our own home in Auckland. Uh, so I lived in that house for a couple of years. Um, and then we sold that house, uh, moved into military housing. So I lived in military housing for a while. Then decided it was time to move the city, uh, leave the city, sorry, um, during COVID and wanted to be closer to whānau um, and bought a bit of land and built a tiny house. Although the land and the tiny house are not in the same place, but that's another story. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's been a long journey of figuring out how we ended up in, in tiny, tiny living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about how 
that even came about how your tiny house like progressed I know with your background in architecture you had a hand in designing the spaces mm. do you want to share more about that yeah I think actually during COVID um we really noticed how little of our house we actually used between the three of us um when we sold our house in Auckland we had planned on buying another house um either in Rotorua or up north and that ended up being harder than we thought. The market kind of went crazy just after we'd sold, um, COVID hit. And even though we had the money, the market was really competitive and we just kept, we kept missing out. So we'd always kind of, well, for a couple of years, both of us had been quite interested in this idea of, of tiny houses. Um, we're both quite small people. And so we didn't need a lot of space. Um, we realized, yeah, during COVID that we only really used the garage because um, did a lot of crafty things. Um, the kitchen, our bedroom, we only used one of like three bathrooms. We didn't need three bathrooms. Um, and so un unless we had lots of whānau coming to stay, which we often did living in Auckland, um, we didn't really use half the house. And so we started looking at how we could design a small space for us to live in that was going to be closer to Fano, but could still, you know, offer options to be able to manaki, um, host people regardless of having a smaller space. So yeah, we, I designed the house. Um, and we took it to a tiny house builder, asked them to build it for us. So they built the shell. Um, and so they built, built it kind of like outside's all done and then it was all lined on the inside and um, electricity and all that. And then we've sort of spent the last six months finishing off all the interior stuff ourselves. Yeah. So do you want to share how, how you felt about designing your own space? Because I know that you go into architecture school thinking that you can design your own place. That is a dream goal. Mm. And now that you've left uni and you've finished all your degrees and your master's, and then you get to finally design your own space. How does that feel? It was like pretty exciting at first. And obviously being a smaller space, we thought, oh, well, it's only small. It's not going to cost us like what it would cost to build a, a full blown house. Um, so we could sort of splash out on little things, you know, tiling and making it look pretty. Um, we also didn't have to worry about consents or anything like that because it's on wheels. It's technically classified as a caravan. So we've insured it as a caravan, um, but you know, it's, it's bigger than a caravan. Um, so we didn't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. We could just design and build it and move it onto site and not have to worry about asking for any kinds of permission. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed the design process. I've always really uh, desi uh, enjoyed designing small spaces and I've really enjoyed when we had to do, you know, skyscrapers and big, like wide span buildings and stuff like that never really interested me. I always enjoyed residential and I always enjoyed small um, residential. And you know, with a tiny house, you've got to use every little bit of space like for storage or, so all of our, like our stairs have all got drawers in them. So all our, um, you know, the stairs themselves are storage. So that's where yeah. we put all our shoes and um, things like that. Um, and you know, our bathroom's compact, but it's got everything we need. Um, the height, I guess the size of it is it's nine meters by 2.8 by 4.2 high. So it's not technically a full two stories, but you can stand up upstairs. So I really wanted it to feel like a normal house, a home, mm -hmm. without um, it being huge. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I know you mentioned that you work in Auckland and you live up in Nongaru and your family's down in Rotorua and your in-laws are up in Nongaru. So yeah. do you want to share how you commute between the different cities? Yeah, it's um, it's not easy. But for us, um, obviously, during lockdown, we'd been in Auckland for sort of 15 years and we were ready to be closer to Vano. Um my sister had twins during lock, like the day, the night we went into lockdown and I thought, and I was all packed ready to go see her. Yeah. And, um, and then we went into lockdown and I was like, it's fine. It'll only be like a week or two. And then like four and a half months later, <laughs> finally got to meet her twins. And so, you know, all those kinds of compounding things. Um, my partner had been in the military for 15 years, 14, 15 years at that stage and was ready for something new. Um, and yeah, for us though, you know, tiny house living gave us the option to go down to one income, um, and to move away from, you know, the city. I don't think we'd be able to do what we're doing without, um, our current living situation where our house is, our house is essentially in the backyard of my (laughs) in-laws, which is, um, that's interesting too. (laughs) So we're kind of living intergenerationally, but we have our own spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it means our expenses are really low. We don't owe anything on our house. We have a small mortgage on the land that we own. Um, and so it gave us the flexibility f- flexibility to, to drop down to one income, despite how expensive everything is. Like, I think if we'd gone into a normal rental or tried to buy another house, we wouldn't have been able to, to cut down to one income. And in saying that, is my partner's starting a business, so it's not like he's not working. He's just starting a business, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. So um, it gave us that flexibility. I remember when we owned our house. I remember getting to a point where we were like, "Cool, we own a house now. Now what? Like, what do we do now?" And um, feeling quite as great as it was, like feeling quite trapped in our jobs because we needed to keep our jobs to be able to pay the mortgage. Um, and so, yeah, the whole tiny house thing. It gives us the option to actually go, oh, I don't know if this is working for us, actually. We might do this. And, uh, you know, and having to swap the kind of care, well, share a bit, share more equally the kind of caregiving roles with our son and and that kind of stuff. Um, could you tell us more about the highlights and the challenges that you find living in your tiny house and even just compare it to how you were a homeowner? Yeah. Yeah, I think I kind of touched on it, but, you know, for us, we bought our house when I think we were like 26, 27 um, in Auckland. It was still quite expensive, but not, you know, it was before things went really crazy. Um, and, you know, we thought that was the kind of be all and end all. If, if you can buy a house, then that's um, that's amazing. And you have housing security and a lot of my work that I do now um a lot of my research is around what is this idea of housing security and we we kind of associate housing security with home ownership um and i really like want to challenge that idea that that home ownership is the only way that you can achieve um housing security and we do own our house don't get me wrong like we do um but it also like gives us the flexibility to move. So we kind of have both where we've got a home, we've got a roof over our heads, no matter what happens, we have a roof over our heads. It's a small roof, <laughs> but it has everything we need. Um, 
But if we wanted to move, like I would quite like to move back to Rotorua in the next few years, we can literally just kind of pick our house up and, and move it down to Rotorua and, you know, not having to really worry about those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, there's security in knowing we have a roof over our heads no matter what. We have a whare, it's got everything we need, um, but we still have that flexibility of being able to be kind of transient if we, if we want to. Mm-hmm. And I'm I am that kind of person. Like I quite like to try new things all the time, and I'm not really one for just staying in in one place. <laughs> so is that your next steps to take your tiny fire once it's fully completed, mm. and then drive it all the way down to Rotorua on your land that you've purchased with your partner, mm. and you guys are just going to stay there? Maybe. I I'd like to. Um, for me, um, it's beautiful living up north, and that's where my partner's from. Um, but I, I'm, I think after being in the city for a long, you know, however long, um, I'm starting to feel that pull to go back home um, and be closer to my, my siblings and get involved in, in, in Rotorua and Te Arua and, you know, the things that are happening there. There's some really exciting things happening there in the housing space. And so I do feel pulled to go down there at some point soon and take our house with us and put it on our land um, and maybe eventually build something slightly bigger on that land. But there's no reason why we can't just stay living in our house while it's still working for us. I think as my son gets a bit older, mm-hmm. you know, like it, we will outgrow it. Yeah. Um, at the moment, he's only three and it's perfect. Like it, it works fine for us and he's got his own space and we've got our own space and that's cool. But I think as he gets a bit older, like maybe five, you know, once he's sort of eight, nine, we might feel that we need a bit more space mm, right, yeah right. so you know and, and that's we don't know that yet but I have a feeling that that might happen and then we might have to look at other other options but there's also things like we could add on to our house like we, you can add pods on you can do things cool. yeah you don't have to we could add a room we don't yeah and and see what that what that works like um but yeah we'll just uh, so you've you have owned a home you now designed your own home and built your own mm-hmm. and you've also purchased land. Do yeah. you want to talk about how that process came about purchasing land in Rotorua first? Yeah, that was kind of an accident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think talking about how we bought our home in the first place, I think we weren't really planning to. Um, we were quite lucky in that my partner was in the Air Force and they have a scheme they had a scheme that was similar to KiwiSaver, but um, had quite a lot more than in KiwiSaver, like it accumulated oh, nice. faster. Yeah. So we had quite a decent deposit. Um, and so we just kind of were like, let's just try and see what happens, like see if we can buy a house. And to be fair, it was really hard. And we, I think, you know, we, um, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, most places, banks turned us away, so we didn't have enough money. I think being young in Māori, didn't help okay. <laughs> um, you know there's there's kind of that we, we definitely came against um, people who just assumed that there was no way we could service a mortgage um, being young and Māori mm-hmm. um, yeah we were young we didn't really know what we were doing um, luckily my partner was in the Air Force and they had a, a scheme that was similar a, a superannuation so like it used to be that when you got out, you got paid out. You know, I think people kind of know about that that idea. Um, but what they did, they changed it so that you could use it for your first home as well because that's what they had instead of KiwiSaver. 
And so luckily he had quite a bit of money sort of sitting in his superannuation. We were able to take that out. Um, but regardless of that, yeah, we hit lots of barriers, lots of people who um, didn't believe that a, a young Māori couple could take on a mortgage and service a mortgage. Um, we basically just kept getting told no all the time and I was just really persistent <laughs> and was like, no, no, we can do this. Um, didn't know if we could, but I was just really persistent. Um, in the end, we got a broker um, who was really good and we managed to find a home. Um, it wasn't, <laughs> I remember when we went to this house and my partner was like, yes, this is a great house. And I was like, no, it faces south. <laughs> And so like at architecture school, like number one thing is you always design buildings to face north, like houses always face north because that's where the sun is. Mm -hmm. And so we like looking at this house, like it was, you know, 1960s, weatherboard, you know, timber floor house, nice and, you know, solid as. But I had this big thing about it facing south and I was just like, no, we can't get it, faces south. And he convinced me, no, it's a good house. And so we bought it. Um... There were things like it was on a cross lease, so we didn't know what that was, and we had to look into what that meant. And so there were lots of things we didn't really understand. Um, but, you know, we did it. And then I think we actually didn't live in it for that long. And part of it was I had my son, and um, we had to buy a house that was sort of further away from all our friends because we couldn't afford to buy a house in the area they were living. Uh, we weren't really close, that close to shops and, and things like that. And so when I was stuck at home, my partner being in the Air Force was away overseas quite often and it was just me and this baby and no friends and no family and things like that. And it made me question, you know, this idea of home ownership of being like, yes, this is the, this is the goal. This is the end goal is to live in this house that you own. But the only house we could afford was away from all my all my connections and all my um, support systems. And so I wasn't actually that happy <laughs> in this house. And my partner, you know, we were having to work really hard to pay this mortgage on a house we didn't actually really enjoy living in that much, but we were doing the thing that we were supposed to doing, were supposed to do, you know, we'd done, ticked all the boxes and we were homeowners and, you know, in our twenties and it was all, yes, you're doing the right thing, but we actually didn't really enjoy it. Um, and so it made us question, was this actually what we wanted for ourselves? And so we sold it and we looked at buying elsewhere, as I mentioned, um, and that didn't really work out. We lived in military housing in the meantime, which was great because it was super cheap. And that was great. That was really, really good. And it gave us a real step up by having um, a place to live that was cheap. And in the meantime, we designed and built our, our tiny. Yeah, and bought some land, which actually we bought with my parents. So my parents had yeah. sold their house, their, their, our homestead. They had bought, sold their house to my sister. Um, and so they had some cash, but they live in a bus. And <laughs> they, you know, they, they kind of do random jobs, but they don't have like solid jobs. So they couldn't service a mortgage. Like the bank wouldn't give them a mortgage because they live in a bus. And so we didn't have the cash because all our cash was going into our tiny house, but we could get a mortgage. And so they put their cash in, we, we serviced a mortgage and we bought some land together. And yeah, so the idea is, you know, we'll bring our tiny, they'll park up their bus and that's, that's the future. <laughs> that's a really interesting story of all the all the different ways that you've been living. Mm. Um, do you want to share some of the challenges that you've come across by trying to find land in Rotorua? I know you mentioned that 
you had you struggled to try and find family land and you just mm -hmm. couldn't yeah i did it you know we were looking for a house down there at first um and we just kept missing out it wasn't even because we didn't have enough money we just kept missing out for various reasons um i then started to look into whether we could get a hold of some family like whanau land whakapapa land that was way too complicated <laughs> and so we just gave up on that idea um and then during lockdown we saw this this kind of section come up um and mum had sort of said oh look there's a section and and it's it's kind of i mean you know we would fuck up up to that land way back when but it was it's freehold and it was on the open market um and so yeah like i didn't see the twins we didn't see the land until after lockdown as well so we never saw the land um we just bought it during lockdown <laughs> and we kind of bought it on accident we thought we were just sort of putting we put it in an offer thinking oh yeah whatever and then they're like yeah it's yours and we we're like oh okay and so we bought this land um and it's quite interesting though it has heaps of covenants on it mm -hmm. um and for those who don't know what covenants are they're like kind of rules around what you can and cannot build and they're actually the the developer decides what those covenants are so it's, it's kind of a tricky thing because it's like it's not actually like the council it's the 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 developer who decides these covenants and so this the land was actually um it was subdivided in 2007 so they're they're old covenants and they're like ridiculous like there's things like we have to have an internal double garage and we have to, has to the house has to be no less than 125 square meters and it has to be of certain materials and all these different things like crazy and i think covenants is just weird because like as an architect or well, you know someone who studied architecture architecture should um should portray your personality and so when you've got all these covenants you can't you know this is how they end up having a whole bunch of like gj gardeners or you know brick and tile houses in in one development because they put a whole lot of covenants that basically point to a brick and tile four bedroom double garage house and so that's what people build but it doesn't allow you to be very um uh creative in your housing design you can obviously get around those things and yeah um and so with one of the things is you can't have temporary housing on it so we technically can't even put our tiny house on it but i'm just going to be like what are you going to do <laughs> i'm just going to do it anyway but um yeah and so that was kind of interesting we kind of found that out afterwards and we were like oh well i guess we just roll with it and at the moment it's just kind of sitting there and we're paying a small mortgage on it and i have kind of plans in my head of what we will do with it mm -hmm. um if we don't stay living in the tiny house I, i've got this idea of you know if we've got to f meet these covenants then we just build a big shed and then just have a little house attached so then we're meeting the double garage and the 20 125 square meter rule um and in my head it's kind of like a big barn kind of thing um so i do have ideas of what we'd like to do and actually then my mum was like oh well can you add a little fuddy for us to live in so now it's got this little <laughs> granny flat attached to it and so we, we're kind of um now exploring this idea of what an intergenerational fuddy a designed intergenerational fuddy might look like that's also a workspace because we we both predominantly work from home um and so that's really exciting and i don't know if we'll ever be able to afford to do it but you know gotta have goals yeah, yeah. <laughs> so would you say you're a lot more happier now yeah i think 
it's nice. I, I, it's nice to live in a nice space. It's nice to live in a space that I designed. Um, it's what I liked about a small house too. Is it's super low maintenance, so it like takes you like fifteen minutes to clean. Um, I used to hate, you know, in the weekends having to clean three bathrooms and all these big rooms before you could go off and do anything on a Saturday morning. Like now, our house is like, yeah, super low maintenance, really easy to look after. Um, which allows us to go out and do things, you know, like we don't have to worry about the house. We can just go off and enjoy um, Nunguru. Like we live in one of the, like this beautiful place with beaches all up and down the coast um, that we get to go and explore. And that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, obviously I'm still working in Auckland and so that's quite difficult. Um, but I'm slowly, you know, working out how to not have to travel quite so much. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. And how do you manage the relationships between now living with your in-laws? and But they're also helpful with looking after baby while you have to work in Tamaki as well, right? Yeah, 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 they are. Um, so, you know, the whole, kind of the whole point was really to be closer to whanau. Um, we realised during lockdown we had no whanau in Auckland and actually that was kind of dumb. Um, so, like, even when they started to, you know, the rules started to kind of get less strict and people could meet with their families and whatnot. We were like, oh, we don't have any. That's dumb. Um, and so we felt really, really isolated. Like, it was like, well, we may as well live in Australia or something if we, you know, can't even go see our whanau. And so that was a big part of it, was living closer to whanau. Um, and so that's been really cool. Like, we have our own spaces, but they're there. And they pick sun up from Kohanga every day which is awesome because it's like a 40-minute drive. Um, so having them being able to pick him up on the way home is really cool because they both work in town. Um, we eat together, um, partly because our kitchen's not finished. But we do. I think we were actually carrying it on. Like, I don't. there's no really no reason why we, we should cook two separate meals. Like, it just mm -hmm. seems a bit silly. Um, yeah, and just things like that. Like, it's, it's nice having them there. But then we've also got our own spaces. I think that's the... That's the clincher <laughs> mm -hmm. of like, yeah, we all live together, but we can retreat to our own places at the end of the day and do our own thing. Um, yeah, but it has been different going from sort of living independently for however many years to suddenly having to kind of negotiate space. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so um, I was just gonna ask about some tips and tricks uh, for either home ownership or trying to get into tiny whare. Could yeah. you share some tips and tricks with everyone else that would likely be interested in trying it out? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a big advocate for being innovative and actually, you know, the way that we're going and the way that, you know, with climate change and the cost of everything, we actually have to start thinking differently about how we live. And you know, like a big house isn't necessarily the answer and, you know, the carbon footprint that that building a big, all these developments have. Um, in our little whare, you know, we don't have a huge footprint. We have a composting toilet, so we don't, you know, we don't have black water. All our grey water gets kind of just filtrated into the, into the whenua, but, you know, we just make sure we don't use any harsh chemicals. We only use eco products, stuff like that. So essentially our, our our footprint's a lot, a lot less. And I think going forward, we have to start thinking a bit more like that, like how our, how we're imp impacting 
the world and the, the whenua and, and things like that, how we're having a smaller footprint. Um, and I think, you know, policy and legislation actually has to start allowing us to do that. Um, at the moment, we get away with it because there's no regulations, but there's nothing to say that in the coming years as tiny houses and alternative kind of ways of living become more popular, that they'll start, they won't start regulating and legislating um, how, you know, having to get consents and things like that. But I think they do need to allow us to think differently about how we want to live and how we want to live intergenerationally and how we want to live smaller and how we want to be able to grow our own kai and how we have a yeah how we affect the environment so um i think that's that's inevitable we just have to actually think differently about how we build mm -hmm. yeah um, um i don't know they didn't really give you any tips and tricks but <laughs> i think you know, if you want to do tiny, the thing with tiny houses too is there isn't a loan scheme. There's there's sort of loan schemes that you can get, but obviously you can't get a mortgage because there's no land attached. Mm. Um, so we were able to do it because we had cash from the sale of our house. Um, but yeah, I think there needs to be. I actually think there needs to be more support for for those kinds of housing models to be able to house our whānau. Mm. Yeah. Do you think tiny houses could work in Tamaki or would you prefer it outside of Tamaki? No, absolutely. Um, they're becoming so popular. Like the people that built ours are just like smashing them out. Like they've done something like 200 tiny houses now in the last like four or five years. And a lot of them are in Tamaki, like kind of sort of more rural like ish but that's because you know you can kind of there's space like a lot of you know urban spaces uh, urban houses don't have space to host a tiny house mm -hmm. um but there's generally examples of it and i and i think i think it's a great a great option for for people who feel that that would be something that would work for them obviously it doesn't work for everybody <laughs> no it's not for everyone and that's totally fine um but yeah, I think I think it's, it could totally work in the cities and, and proven to, yeah. Yeah, so what are your aspirations for Rangatahi? Whew. Um Yeah, I think my aspirations is that there's more options. Um and that Rangatahi can find housing security. Um and as I've mentioned, that doesn't necessarily look like home ownership. I think we need to think outside of home ownership and how we ensure housing security. Um, I mean, there's models all over the world about uh, how renting can be much more secure, where you have longer tenures and you're able to create a home within your, you know, at the moment there's so many, like in Aotearoa, there's so many rules and regulations around um, what you can and cannot do in your rental property. And there's um, very little control, um, you know, things like three month inspections are very, um, that's the word I'm looking for. But, you know, you don't have, as soon as that three months comes up, you realise that every time that three months comes up, you remember that it's not your home, it's someone else's. Mm -hmm. You're t constantly reminded that this is not yours. Mm -hmm. This belongs to someone else. And so, you know, there's things like that, like not having so many inspections and for people to be able to create a home within their rental properties. Um, cost, obviously, is a massive factor. But I, I think we... Yeah, we need to ensure that housing security becomes more valued and and that we're not so focused on money that cost isn't always 
the, the thing and that it's, housing shouldn't be about money. It's a, it's a human right. You know, everyone should be able to have shelter and have a roof over their heads no matter what. And so we need to just change our attitudes towards housing to ensure that Rangatahi can, can have a home that is their, a home regardless of the tenure. It doesn't matter what the tenure is, they should be able to be able to feel home and feel secure. Because when you feel secure at home, it allows you to go out into the world and, and be better and do things because you're not worrying about making sure you've got a roof over your head and that you can pay the bills and that you're not gonna, your tenancy is not going to run out and they're going to tell you you have to move. Um, yeah, those things, you know, when you've got, you know you've only got a house for a year, that's a really short amount of time. And so if we can ensure, like, change those kinds of things, then people can thrive because they're not worrying about their home life. Uh, thanks again, Maya, for joining us on here, Whare Mōwai. Uh, your talk has been honestly inspirational and very aspirational for anyone that's trying to do alternative living, really, mm. trying to get by. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you again. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a disclaimer from us, we are no housing experts. However, we are passionate about supporting rangatahi to secure safe, adequate and healthy homes.